0: you think for a moment, have you ever been asked by somebody to do something that you really, really didn't want to do? Have you ever been asked by a parent, maybe your, your dad, to do something you really, really didn't want to do? I can think of a few times. Uh, growing up on a farm north of here, um, something interesting happened when I was a seventh grader. Uh, my dad came to me just as he came to my, my older brother and said, in essence, he didn't say these words, basically said your, your childhood in life as you know it is over. OK, from now on, we need you on a day that you're not in school to be at work at seven o'clock in the morning and you'll stay till six o'clock at night. On harvest, it'll go longer and we'll pay you one dollar an hour, which was huge money at the time. And, and I love my dad. It was it was it was a, you know, it was uh, I don't mean this to sound negative, but it was a, like, do I really want to do that? Um, and it taught me a lot about hard work and perseverance and and, but I, in particular, I remember one one topic. Uh, well, and I should let you know, I did get pay raises. I was making two and a quarter when I graduated from from college. So, I think there were some child labor laws broken in there. But uh, but but well, there's one particular job in particular that I did not like doing, and it was because we had uh, my dad managed a feedlot, and when you have a feedlot, it means there's cattle, and a lot of them, 15, 1,600, and they tend to generate poop. Okay. And so it was two or three times a year, it was our job to have to haul, clean it up, haul it out and spread it all over the fields because I was low man on the totem pole. I was the youngest. That was one of my jobs. And I always got the tractor without the cab. So you'd spend, I mean, you would spend, a, you know, probably a week every two or three months just spreading manure all over these fields and smell wasn't good. And if it was dry and windy, that was not good at all. So not something that I really enjoyed doing very much um, in this past years Today, we come to a situation where Jesus is asked to do something by his father and it's something that he's really not excited about doing. He knows he needs to do it and he ends up doing it. But it's not something that he really wants to do. We find a situation where Jesus is in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's the day before he goes to the night before he goes to the cross and we find this passage where Jesus says, in essence, do I really have to go through with this? I really don't want to drink from this cup. I really don't want to do this. And Jesus finally gets to the place where he says, not my will, but yours be done. And so today we're going to be looking at this passage and how it applies to us. And how do we respond when we find ourselves in a situation where maybe God asks us to do something, to respond a certain way, to avoid something or to do something or to be a certain type of person or presence. In a situation that we really aren't excited about doing or being in. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking uh, uh, through the gospel, working our way through the Gospels in the middle of a sermon series called "Journey to Jerusalem," and we've been following stories about Christ as He makes His way towards the cross and towards the empty tomb, which we'll be celebrating uh, Easter here in a few weeks, as you heard earlier. And and last week, Stephen did a great job. He took uh, John 13, the passage where Jesus is. Uh, with the uh, the disciples in the upper room and he washes their feet. And, and the week before that, Wes uh, had a powerful sermon um, from John 11 about Jesus when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And so today we come to this passage where Jesus uh, is in a circumstance, basically a very pivotal moment in his life, uh, in our lives as well, when he comes to a crossroads and he has a decision to make. Do I do my Father's will, even though... It means painful, awful death for me. Uh, it's doing something that I, I don't, something's going to happen to me that I don't deserve. How do I respond? And, of course, Jesus knows the implications are huge for himself, but also for his friends, his family, and for human history. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles, if you're not still there, to Matthew 26. We're looking at verses 36 through 46. And we're going to be focusing in on this on this powerful prayer that Jesus offered where he says, not my will, but yours be done. So let's set the scene here. In this story, there are 13 characters, but only five of them really are focused on by Matthew. Uh, We begin with the 11 disciples. Remember, Jesus has left the upper room just a little bit earlier. He's gone off to betray Jesus to the Jewish leaders for 40 pieces of silver. And then we come to this passage, verse 36. And Jesus went with his disciples, the 11 remaining ones, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. So Jesus takes the 11 remaining disciples. He leaves eight of them at the outside edge of the garden. And he takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John. He takes them into the, into the garden. Those are kind of his inner circle, the th- three disciples with whom he was the closest. The 13th character, of course, is God. Uh, God is present in every story of the Bible, sometimes assumed and sometimes seen or heard. But here he is present as Jesus pours out his heart to God, the father. At the beginning of the story, we, we see in verse 37 that Jesus is sorrowful and troubled. In fact, in verse 38, it says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now I've got to say, to this point in my life, I've not ever been overwhelmed to the, to the, to, to sorrow with sorrow to the point of death. But I have experienced enough hardship, and I have been around and walked through enough hardship with people that I know that in the midst of pain and fear and sorrow, the presence of good, close friends that you know and who love you and likewise is is very important. It's a source of comfort and strength. And so Jesus here, as dark as hour, he wants his he wants his closest friends with him. And then in verse 39, it says, Jesus falls prostrate on the ground and prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is hours away from death on the cross. He's he's just experienced the, the pain of betrayal by a friend. He's just had this intimate last supper with his disciples. He knows what's coming. He knows what he's being asked to do, and he kneels before the Father and says, Do I really have to go through with this. Now, prayer at its simplest is what? It's communication, right? Communication with God the Father. And one of the rules of communication um, is that you pay as much, if not more, attention to how something is being said, the tone, than to what is said. For instance, I can say I'm really sorry a number of different ways. I can say it sarcastically. uh, With a sarcastic tone, I can say I'm sorry, as a growl, kind of forced, or I can say I'm really sorry with humility. If we want to break through in our relationship with God the Father and have a deeper relationship with him, and if prayer is simply communication with God in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we must pay attention to not only what we pray, but how we pray it, right? I mean, I can pray with resignation. Okay, I give up God, you're God, do what you want, it's your your will, not mine. I can pray with resentment and anger. Um, Okay, whatever, God. You're going to do what you want anyway. Just your will be done, not mine. I can pray in fear, cowering before an all-powerful God. Your will be done, God. Don't strike me down. Don't smite me. But if we want to see changes in our relationship with God, and we want to see changes in ourselves, and we want to find help in the midst of tough circumstances, then we must be able to pray humbly and obediently, your will be done. You know, the Greek word used to translate Jesus' prayer here is the word tholema. It's an, it's an active word. It's, a, it's not a passive word. It's not the picture of somebody sitting back, sitting on your hands in resignation, saying, do what you want, God. It's, it's leaning forward. It's extending your hands, saying, here I am, God. May your will be done. Take my life. Take me. Do what you will. Use me for your purposes. It's about faith and it's about trust, really. It's saying, God, you know best. You know best for my life. Now, we cannot ask, Your will be done, and then go and do the opposite thing, right? I mean, we've sometimes done that, all of us. Uh, it doesn't work that way. We cannot say, Your will be done, and then persist in attitudes and thoughts and actions that are contrary to God's will. We call that sin. And if we think of prayer as a conduit and a channel to God, then sin in one or more areas of our lives can cause blockage, can cause us to feel distant, can cause us to lose faith. It can cause unclear communication with God. I mean, God can still hear us, don't get me wrong. But he's not likely to respond unless and until we begin to walk in humility and obedience. When we hang on to sin, God can still hear us. But we aren't likely to hear him very well, are we? Now, I'm not saying here that we have to be perfect or we have to have our lives all together to to have God answer our prayers. And if that was the case, if that's the way it worked, then Jesus would be the only person who's ever had an answered prayer. But your will be done is a powerful, effective prayer. And if we want things to happen, then we must endeavor to approach God with the right attitude, which is humility, not presumption. And with the right condition. Obedience, faithfulness. So what happens when we pray, your will be done? Let's see what happened in Jesus' life. So Jesus has just asked James, Peter, and John to watch and wait with him. And after praying the first time, it says in verse 40 that he returns to them. It says, he finds them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are as human beings. And yet he remained sinless. You know, of all the temptations that Jesus faced on earth, and he faced many of them, I think that this one here in the Garden of Gethsemane was the greatest. Just to recount, at the beginning of his ministry, remember in Luke 2, Jesus is tempted by Satan to gain power, to rule over the earth. But Jesus passes that test with flying colors. And throughout his ministry, as his appointment with the cross comes closer and closer, Satan's attacks grow more and more intense. But in the garden at this moment, I believe it was the worst. You see, Jesus knew that he would endure ridicule, torture, and an awful death. And being fully God, but also fully human, he did not want to endure that. I'm sure there was dread. I'm sure there was the fleeting thought, maybe more than a fleeting thought, to to run away, to escape the horrible physical pain. But I believe the greater temptation was to do anything he could to avoid being separated from his father. God the Father, you see, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had never been separated. For all eternity, they had been in communion. Three in one, one in three. And Jesus knew, and he dreaded, the moment not only of physical death, but of of spiritual death. And as Jesus peered into the cup that he would drink, he knew that he would be separated from the Father, taking what should have been the fate of us, spiritual death upon himself. That's why he shouted on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so at this time of greatest temptation, when God the Father asked him to do something that he desperately did not want to do, he said, he, he, he prays three separate times. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. And he strengthened. And again, he passes the test. You see, when we pray your will be done, the Father will help us to overcome temptation and trial, to persist, to grow, to mature, to be the person he calls us to be in the midst of difficult times. Now, temptation all boils down to this. Temptation is the desire or proclivity to do things my way, not God's. It's a tendency to to do my will and not God's. And when we pray, your will be done, we are actively hitting at the core of temptation, where it thrives. And its power is drained and something changes in us. Now we can pray that God will spare us trials and temptations, and sometimes he'll answer. Sometimes prayer changes circumstances. But God uses prayer more often not to exempt us from temptation or suffering or difficulty, but to strengthen us, to endure, to overcome us, to mature us, to develop character in us. I mean, we can certainly ask God to to spare us, to give us a pass from accidents or grief or pain, financial pressures, marital problems, problems with our kids, etc. Perhaps sometimes, though, it's God's will not to excuse us from these things but they give us strength and maturity as we overcome, as we persevere. There is a prayer by an unknown Confederate soldier, (laughs) I've always liked it, (laughs) who says this, I prayed for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do better things. I asked for, excuse me, I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, yet everything that I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. We must be willing to accept what that will might be, even when and if it's contrary to what we want or what we ask for. That's often the way that prayer works. We wrestle with God, we struggle, but if we persist eventually, God will give us the ability and the desire to do things his way, not ours. When we pray your will be done, the Father will help us to grow and mature through temptation and trial. What else happens? Verse 45, Jesus says, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. So just a few moments ago, Jesus has been agonizing about what is to come, and now he's a man of action. He's resolute. He's ready to face it head on. Ready to accomplish his purpose and his mission on earth. Rise, he says, let's go. He moves forward, not away from the trial to come. What happened here? For insight, let's look into this Garden of Gethsemane for just a moment. The word Gethsemane means oil press. Uh, The place where Jesus and his disciples were uh, was a garden area uh, in in the midst of some olive trees, a grove of olive trees on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem. It was a place uh, of preparation A place where olives would be picked and harvested and then pressed and oil would be prepared. And it was a place where Jesus and his disciples had been before to pray and to talk and just to be together. And for Jesus on this night, it was a place of preparation for him, too. He had to undergo the the pressure uh, of temptation uh, and, uh, and facing what was to come the next day to be ready, to be prepared, to be used by the father to do the father's will. It's also interesting in the Bible, and particularly in the Jewish faith, olive oil is used for anointing, for choosing someone, for consecrating someone or something for a special role or purpose. And as we know, Jesus had been chosen and consecrated, set aside, who had willingly um, accepted this mission, this call, um, to come to earth, to give his life, to, to lay down his life on the cross so that all could be saved through faith in him. finally when we pray your will be done the father prepares us for what's to come his purpose is for us and we are able to do his will now God only knows what lies in our future but I do believe he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us and when those moments come in our lives as a part of his plan and purpose either through temptation or trial When those moments come when God, the Father, asks us to to do something that we don't want to do. When those moments come, honest and sincere and humble prayer will have prepared us for that time. I mean, if we think of prayer as sort of cross-training, or maybe better put as training for the cross. Just like a pianist must practice scales and chords for hours on end to perfect their craft, just like a a high-level athlete must train and run and practice their skill to do it well, so must we pray daily over and over and submit ourselves to God and his desires so that when the time comes for us to pick up our cross, we will be ready. Last thing I want to say is, you know, in the Christian faith, we can get so hung up on the things that we don't know. There's a lot of things that we don't know. Let's be honest. A lot of questions we might have. Boy, I sure wish I knew why God did that or why he doesn't do that. Or I sure wish I knew what God wanted me to do. It would sure be nice if you would tell me what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I understand that. I've been there. But as Mark Twain so famously said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that give me the most trouble. It's the parts that I do. I mean, let's be honest. We know the vast majority, right, of what God's will is for our lives. We know how we're supposed to treat other people. Love our enemies, forgive them, pray for them, love our neighbors as ourselves. It's pretty clear in the scripture that we are to be sacrificial and giving and kind and compassionate, to do justice, to do mercy, to follow God, to worship him, to give our time, our talents, and our treasure to him and his work and his kingdom, to be an encouragement to others, to share our faith with others. We know what the vast majority of God's will for our lives is. The question is, will we... Will we do it? Do we mean it when we say, not your will? No, not my will, but yours. Be done. It comes down to a matter of trust. It comes down to the issue of surrender. In his book called Jesus Among Other Gods, Rabbi Zacharias develops this idea of three separate gardens. In the Garden of Eden, God asks, will you trust me? Satan deceives And humans refuse to trust. The garden of life becomes a garden of death. In the garden of Gethsemane, God asks, will you trust me? Jesus surrenders to the Father's will. The garden of despair becomes a garden of determination. In the garden of the empty tomb, death reigns and hope seems lost. And God speaks, will you trust me? And Jesus is alive and the garden of death becomes a garden of eternal life. And God still speaks to us today. We all come across crossroads in our lives And we have a choice to make, will I do things God's way or will I do them my way? And God asks us, do you trust me? Through your pain, through your confusion, through your doubts, through your complacency, will will you trust me? May Jesus' words be our words. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for <coughs> the example of Jesus Christ. We can look to him in Scripture and look at how he lived his life and what he valued and what he did, how he treated people, how he related to you, how he prayed, how he sacrificed. We can look to him and, and, and we can know what we're called to do. And Lord, in those areas where it's a little bit fuzzy, we're not quite sure what you're doing and not quite sure if we want to go through with what you're asking us to do or be the person you call us to be, Lord. Um, Lord, we pray that you would help us um, to submit to you, to surrender to you, to trust in you, to grow our faith, Father. Lord, we pray that we'd be people who would be marked by a difference, that people would know that our faith uh, in you is real, that we do trust you. So, Lord, we pray together, not my will be done, but yours. Amen.